0: First scripture reading this morning comes out of Psalms uh, twenty-four. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Deceitfully he will receive blessings from the Lord in righteousness from the God of his salvation, such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and he and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up. O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And also Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Well, today we're going to talk about stewardship. Stewardship. And I didn't announce that because I wanted you to show up. In fact, how many of you looked at the bulletin and looked ahead at the sermon title and thought, i got to get out of here, right? (laughs) Start making your exit plans. The fact of the matter is stewardship and money are major themes in the Bible. Jesus talked about or referenced money more than probably any other topic except the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined in the Gospels. Many of the parables talk about money, wages for workers, lost coins, a spoiled inheritance. Some say that one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke have some kind of reference to money or finance or wealth, prosperity. This is obviously an important topic in the Bible and for Jesus. Yeah, let's be honest. The church has not always been real good at talking about it. Now, I'm not commenting on this church. I actually don't know much about how this church has done this in the past, but I know that the American church has made a lot of mistakes in this area. So let me start out just with some apologies on behalf of the American church for how it's handled some of these topics. I'm really sorry to you all that the church has really only talked about money when we needed some. Sorry that we have treated those with money with contempt instead of realizing the gift that they are for the church. I'm sorry that our approach to stewardship has often been based on guilt rather than gratitude. Sorry that in letting money be a taboo subject, we have not properly taught you the very important part of what it means to be a Christian and follow the teachings of Jesus. And I'm sorry that we have let culture define our view of money in the church. And the American dream control how we view our possessions instead of really letting the Bible do that. And so today I want to try to take a big step, and it's a big chunk here, but I want to try to reframe how we talk about stewardship in the church. I want to sort of develop a theology of stewardship, okay? I'm going to try to rebuild it from the ground up. So here we go. Stewart starts with a big theological claim that came to us right out of the Psalms that everything in this world belongs to God. Period. No exceptions. It all is God's. Some of it is fallen, some of it is broken, but it all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. That includes you and I. We belong to God. We belong to God. Sure, we make money, we do work, we build companies, we do all kinds of things. But we do that because of the gifts and the opportunity that God gives us. Okay, we do that because we have the ability and the chance to do that. Which means everything we have, everything we are, comes from God and is God's. Which means that we are not owners of our lives, our possessions, our money, our children. We're not possessions of things in this world We are stewards. We manage it. We care for it. We bring value out of it. From the garden on, it was humanity's job to care for creation, to continue creating, but to in all things acknowledge that all things belong to God. And as a sign of that, that they were stewards, early Israel was told to give a tithe to the Lord. Leviticus twenty seven thirty says, "Every tithe of the land, whether of seed or of land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord." Now, a couple of notes on tithing because uh, uh, we use this term a lot, and we use it in a lot of ways that are not real biblical. Okay, in those days they didn't get paychecks. Right? There's actually not a lot of cash. What tithe was was what you produced. Okay, so if you were uh, uh, if you owned a vineyard. Uh, the first tenth of your grapes, those go to God. When uh, the, you had grains, the first tenth of your grain goes to God. It's actually more of a guideline than a rule. In fact, if you actually gave like ancient Israel gave, you would give a lot more than that. The tithe was what you gave on the top, off the top, and then there were all kinds of other offerings that you gave throughout the year. Um, scholars have suggested that Israel was expected to give about 32% of their income, 33% of their income. Over uh, to God and for the things going on in Israel, and uh, so this becomes interesting when we start talking about tithe, because I always get this question: Is it is it gross or net? Right? Okay. Do you think ancient Israel had any idea what gross and net were? Okay. It was their grains. Okay, and, and so uh, the tithe is is not something that we can just simply legalistically follow. It's not the same as our world today. But but it is uh, considered by the church over the years a a decent guideline, something to strive for in giving. The, The bigger idea of the tithe wasn't the amount. It was really the understanding. We give a portion to remember who owns the whole. That's the point of the tithe. Israel was to give 10% to show God that they trusted God more with the 90% than they could do with 100%. Okay, It was a sign, it was a sign, and it was a first fruits. It was the first thing to be paid in Israel, the first part of your grains. Okay, It'd be easier to wait until you get to the end and use some grains that aren't as good and won't sell as good. But no, the idea was that God gets first. Psalm or Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Hey, okay, first fruits. Did you know that Butterball Turkey has a turkey hotline? Did you know that? You can look this up online. Butterball Turkey for years has had a turkey hotline. And there are people on the other end of the phone that go to turkey school and they learn how to cook turkeys, and on certain days you can call the butterball hotline. This is true. And you can get coaching on how to cook a turkey. A few few years ago, a woman called in to the the, the Butterball hotline and said, I have a turkey that has been in my freezer for 25 years. Is it still safe to cook it and eat it? And the the lady on the Butterball turkey line put her on hold. (laughs) And they talked together as a group. And what they said was, if the turkey's been frozen the whole time, it's actually probably safe to eat. It'll probably taste terrible. It'll probably taste like cardboard, but it'll be safe to eat. But it'll taste terrible. And she responded, oh, it's okay. I wasn't going to eat it. I was going to give it to my church. <laughs> True story. The idea of first fruits is important. Okay? Okay. God does not want our 25-year-old turkeys, okay? God does not want the couch that is so disastrous you don't want it in your house anymore. Let's give it to the youth group, right? There's some times when this, this idea of first fruits is important because we we got to get it right off the bat that you don't give to the church, you give to God. And I'm really sorry that the church has been bad at handling that language, but you give it to God, you give it to God. God has given priority. He's given the first fruits, not the 25-year-old turkey. In Israel, there were two things that the giving was used for. One was to support the regular maintenance of worship. Okay? That was part of the giving. When Israel goes into the land, all the tribes are giving property so that they can raise animals and they can have flocks, they can have vineyards, they can make a living for themselves, except for one tribe, the Levites. The Levites were the priests and they were not given property. Okay, They had to live among everybody else's property and they had to live and support themselves off of the giving. And in the temple, whenever something broke, whenever they had to build something new and a curtain tore or whatever, that came out of those offerings. I point this out to you because there is a biblical precedent for part of your gifts going to the church, for supporting the church. And maintaining the regular part of worship. In fact, I take that responsibility very seriously because a big chunk of our budget is me. Okay? And what I understand is that the way this system works is that you all give because, in parts, you can't go to seminary and you didn't have time to study all this for a sermon. And uh, you didn't have time to prep everything for worship. And so part of what we do is, as a church, as a group, we give so that we can have a secretary to print bulletins and we can have a music director and we can have a pastor. That that's part of the regular maintenance uh, of the church. And uh, so that we can be here and we can have heat for electricity and we can have flush a toilet if we need to, right? The, the regular maintenance of worship is part of giving. Part of what we do when we give to God, it goes to maintaining the worship of God. In addition, the offering from Israel went to care for others that were not support, could not support themselves, like the poor, the widows, the stranger, or the immigrant, or the orphan. Those are the titles that are often listed as those who are more fragile in those days. So the, the tithe that came into the temple, went through the priests also, was dispersed and given to those who were in need. In addition, people were expected to give to the poor. They were expected to forgive debt. There were a lot of rules in the Old Testament about your field. There were certain parts of your field you weren't. The edges of your field you weren't supposed to actually uh, uh, crop. You weren't supposed to glean so that other people could come behind and take some of those things when they couldn't. So we give a first fruit, but part of the understanding is that we're stewarding our whole lives. We're stewarding everything. In fact, we steward a lot more than money, don't we? The church has traditionally talked about time, talent, and treasure. That you have time, and, and if, you, if you think finances are of a limited resource, talk about time. It's here, and then it's gone. And I don't know if anybody else notices this, but does every year seem a little faster than the last one? Like, does that continue? Somebody give me some guidance here. It continues? Okay time, we steward our, what are you going to give your time to? When your talents, what, what has God gifted you, given you passion to do? You steward those things. Okay? If God has given you talents and gifts and abilities, how are you better at those things this year than you were last year? See, that's a stewardship question. You're stewarding your life. And we steward our children, we steward our businesses, we steward our churches. we guide and direct our church, right? But there is something different about money, okay? There's something different in the Bible about money. There's a particular emphasis about stewarding it. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this important phrase that Derek read, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, okay? And when we typically hear that, what we think is, if I could see your checkbook, I would know where your heart was, okay? Okay? But you understand, that's not what Jesus said. See, it, where your che- well, if I can see your checkbook, I know where your heart was. That means that your money is following your heart. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So your treasure goes over there. Where do you think your heart goes? Over there. And I can prove it. How many of you have bought a new car and then suddenly you love driving? You're like, fine, you got a new car, and any excuse you have to drive. Oh, no, I'll drive. Yes, come on. Suddenly, you love driving. Okay, how many of you have ever gotten a new dishwasher suddenly for like a week? You love washing dishes, right? It doesn't last, but I got this new thing. I put money into it. How many of you have ever been frustrated? I've been frustrated. Where you put your money into something, and then you don't love it. You ever been there? How frustrating is that? Because you want your heart to follow that, but you know it's not. And now you got, you got this dilemma, right? See, Jesus doesn't need your money. This is really important. Jesus doesn't need your money. Okay? Jesus could make $100 bills just fall from the ceiling right now. Or an oil start to bubble up on our property and we'd be fine for a long time, right? Okay, Jesus has a bunch of different ways he could support. But, but, but what he wants is your heart. What Jesus wants is a relationship with you. And so he chooses, among all things, to trust us. Now, I know us. And I'm not sure I would trust us. Right? (laughs) But that's how Jesus does it. Because it's not about the money. It's about your heart. Okay? Jesus wants your heart. And he knows that your money is what guides your heart in a lot of ways. Because of this... Because of our understanding, a false understanding, we've had some bad understandings about how we talk about money in the church. Number one, we've, we've tried to talk about money as evil. It's not. Paul says the love of money is the root of all evil in 1 Timothy 10. It's not bad in and of itself. It's bad when it becomes our master, right? When we pursue it among all things. In fact, I think we have done a disservice to the church Uh, When we have, for some reason, hammered on people that have wealth. We've loved the stories of the rich young ruler and the parable of Lazarus, you know, and the rich man. And we've loved to have these characters where those with means are the bad guy. Uh, And I'm not sure why we've clung to those stories so much because there's plenty of other stories in the Bible where means are important. I don't know if you know this. Did you know that Jesus' ministry had benefactors? you ever think about this? How does Jesus and these disciples, how do they walk around for three years without jobs? Have you ever asked that question? Okay, well, actually, Luke tells us. In Luke 8, it says, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, The wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Provided for them. So there are, along with the disciples, all these other people that go with the disciples that are in part the ones who support the disciples. Many of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they talk about the wealth. See, the, the wealth isn't the problem. The problem is The heart. The problem, I mean, what a gift it is to have the means to be generous. The problem is when money becomes our master, when we pursue it above all else, when we get our wealth at the expense of others, when we rely on our our wealth instead of relying on Jesus, then it becomes a problem. Okay, Can you have a childlike faith and need Jesus? And for some people, that's really difficult because they're too obsessed with wealth. And by the way... That doesn't just mean people who are wealthy. Some of the people I find most obsessed with money are the people that don't have it. They just serve the God of the money that they wish they had, right? And so whenever we are in our, wherever we are in our life and whatever our experience with money and wealth, the bigger principle is about being grateful for it and generous with it. And this is distinctly un-American, right? In America, we're supposed to want bigger, better, more, And I am struck by the irony of that this week as we have Thanksgiving and we get together with our family and we celebrate what's really important and we're really grateful. And then we have Black Friday where people have actually been trampled for the latest toys and electronic devices, right? In fact, how many of you have noticed Black Friday creeping into Thanksgiving Now the stores are actually open on Thanksgiving, so you leave dinner early to go buy more stuff. There is an irony to Black Friday infringing on a day we call Thanksgiving. And I think the Bible would have some strong critiques about that juxtaposition. Let me try to bring this all together with a story. A man took his young son to McDonald's, got his son a small fry, and got himself a drink. And then as they were sitting there... He reached across, as many of us fathers would do, to take a fry, okay? And the the little boy immediately said, mine, and he grabbed his fry and he pulled it away from his dad and sort of blocked it with his arms so his dad couldn't get a fry. His dad had this very strong reaction. What do you mean mine? You don't have money? I bought those fries. Those are my fries. He said, furthermore, I don't need your fries, he said, I got my wallet with me. I can go up. I can buy 20 large fries. I can just bury you in fries. I don't need your fries. And then he paused for a moment, got up, went and got a large fry, took a tray and poured his large fry out on the tray, and then took his son's small fry and poured it out on the tray, and they shared the fries together. See, that's stewardship. That's stewardship. Here we are with our little pile of fries, and we try to say to God, mine, mine. And God's reaction could be, no, that's mine. You only have that because I gave you the gifts, and I gave you the resources, I gave you the opportunities to get it. And and, and God could say, you know, I don't need your fries. I can bury you in fries. I can get fries a bunch of other places. I don't need your fries. But what God does is he asks us to give what we have, and then he pours everything that he has out on the table. And we eat and we participate together. That is what stewardship is all about. It's about God wanting to get to our hearts. And yes, part of that is supporting the church. And yes, part of that is giving to the needy. And part of that is doing what's right. But, but the biggest part is our relationship to Jesus Christ. And can we respond to that not out of guilt, but out of gratitude? So let me end with this, with Thanksgiving this week. Let me just say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for responding to what God is doing in your life. Thank you for giving to the church. Thank you for giving to the needy. Thank you for trusting this church with your gifts. Thank you to all of those like Dan, like our session members who do so much to track that and to make sure it goes to the right place. Thank you to the missions committee who did so much work this year to try to figure out where those funds were going Thank you for giving. Thank you for opening your heart to God in your giving. May we continue to be a church that's like that, that's giving and generous, and that is most important, letting God have a piece of our heart as we do. May you have a very blessed Thanksgiving. Amen.